All right, I'm sorry, I'm gathering my materials here. So, all right, we have potentially too much to talk about. Yeah, we got week. 900 movies. We got to do mini views. Yeah, we'll, bu- we'll bust them. And then we're going to do top tens at the end? We can. Or we just want to cut right to the Let's chair. see how long these take. Okay, yeah. Uh, very good. I'm bringing up my diary, my, my letterboxed diary. So, yeah, we're just going to have to bump, you know, knock these out. I think some of them will be pretty easy to, it's really not for me, for new movies, I've got Matrix, Resurrections, Don't Mm -hmm. Look Up, uh, Red Rocket, Licorice Pizza, Lost Daughter. That's a lot, but. um, And I've got some that maybe we can just save till you watch. Like I saw Worst Person in the World and Parallel Mothers Mm -hmm. and yeah. And Drive My Car. Drive my car. I, I'd like to yeah. catch up with all those. I imagine you'll catch up with Benedetta, so we can maybe, yeah, punt some of those down the road. Great. Uh, so Matrix Resurrections. I don't think did you ever pull the trigger on that? No, I didn't watch. No it. I might watch it sometime. I think that I didn't ever see the third in mm-hmm. the original Matrix trilogy, which has held me back. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to. I want to figure out what's going on before I jump into this brave new world. Uh, that'll be quite an endeavor. I've seen all three of the originals multiple times and I still had no idea. It's so dense. The lore really? gets ridiculous by the end. And that's kind of the weird thing about this new one. The only thing I'll say about it is that it, um, it's incredibly meta. It almost to the point of like a back to the future, you know, part two, like going back into events of the first movie. And, and it has like explicit, uh, lingering recreations of things from the first movie. And then it has all sorts of references to things from the others to the sequels that if you don't remember them, it's fine. Um, there's like this guy running around in like rags. And then you remember halfway that he's the, the Merovingian who, who was married to Monica Bellucci in the original trilogy. But you don't, most people won't remember that. And I don't think it has any bearing on it. Uh, it's, I think the, the, the subtext is what's interesting about matrix stuff. And I think this one is interesting in that way, as far as being a reboot, it's extremely rebooty and, and meta and, you know, I don't know that stuff kind of bores me, but it's interesting. It's an interesting movie. Yeah. I mean, I do like the original matrix universe and I was glad to see, you know, what's, what's her name? Carrie Ann Moss and, Mm -hmm. Keanu back together. Yeah, that's the fun part, right? That's uh makes us pretend that we all look like we did 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. And they threw Neil Patrick Harris in there for good measure this time. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh yeah. So that's going on. I don't know why they're back, but um well, there's uh, I guess I don't want to spoil anything. You got to see it. Certain people are not back but their characters are kind of back or at least in like a new form. And it's like, well, it would have been fun to see that person. But anyway, uh, yes. So that exists. Next is don't look up. I feel like I've been chastised online for the last few weeks for not liking it. And the problem personally or personally or not personally, I haven't gotten into, in fact, I've, I've started to tweet about it and I just like, what am I doing? Don't do it. Right. No, Um, because Here's my here's my position that makes me the weird one out. I like Adam McKay. I liked Vice. Mm-hmm. I, Vice is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's I like his perspective. I like his movies. They're, that's my jam. I'm ideologically predisposed to be on this movie's side to agree with the things that it's saying. I think it even reaches a couple of moments of cleverness in in the actual don't look up stuff towards the end. But it just doesn't work for me. The whole thing 
is overwrought and I just didn't like it as a film, but I'm being told that, 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 that's my problem. Um, yeah. I didn't like, I didn't like it either. I, and I, and I think it's incredibly polarizing. I think as, if, if you were to view from Twitter, it's either the most revelatory movie made in the last 20 years, or it's a pile of puke. I, I think it's neither. Yeah. I, I agree with you that it's not like McKay is my favorite, but I do kind of like his voice. You know that the movies he makes are going to be a little bit different. They're going to have just a few winks you didn't expect. Who isn't in this movie? Yeah. That that is that is a weakness, I think. Mm-hmm. I wonder what this would have been like with unknown actors, where so much of your time isn't spent thinking, oh, there's Kate Blanchett. Oh, there's Meryl Streep. Oh, Jonah Hill, right. Tyler Perry. Um how many Oscar winners do we need to hold up the screenplay that right. isn't really that good? It sits on one joke and that joke is just sad. Right. And he used to have a couple of a-listers and then a bunch of his comedy friends and even that would have been in a better vibe to yeah do this as a straight-up farce or like you know a satire right and it I is think, a satire but i don't know right i think of big short mm-hmm. and that went to great lengths to explain to the audience a complex system of how that massive systemic failure took place right yeah. and i think of vice and while well, he's preaching to the choir a little bit about the Cheneys, you did actually get to see some history and understand some family dynamics. And it brought insight to what that was about, as well as what that meant to the world stage during that era and beyond. Right. Yeah. I think that this was so simplistic. Mm-hmm. It didn't look mm-hmm. into any of the complexity of this issue. They had Meryl Streep. And they had her play below her intelligence as this politician who only cares about the midterms. And though there's truth that people are, you know, held hostage by corporations and by polls and whatever else, they're not stupid. They would understand the gravity of the situation, um, how they chose to respond to it in light of political realities. You know, there's stuff to mine there. Yeah. But just the idea that, oh, Americans just like to watch TMZ and we don't really care because we just care about uh, how this looks in the polls. That isn't how any terrible politician conducts themselves. They all understand the complex realities. They're smart people. That's why they're in those seats. Sure. Yeah. I also feel like the central metaphor is just a bit of an eye roller. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that it doesn't have truth to it. And that I don't think of climate change as a as a disaster that's hurling towards us. I'm just saying that when you use the comet metaphor, which has been done at great length already, it's not some clever new thing. It a whole swath of people that you could maybe reach through entertainment are going to just tune out and call you. Uh, I mean, whatever. That's not, not their job to to anticipate that. I just. Yeah, I felt between the the weird characterization and not a not great script and an over the top premise that starts from preaching, as opposed to just being a good confident satire, mm-hmm. and you get it even if it's a little on the nose. I don't know. It's just the whole thing felt and the, I feel like DiCaprio is participating because you know it's a it's a message movie for him and it's and all that even though i you know again i'm on board i just also just throws me the wrong way i don't know well and it isn't so simple as that 
we're not facing a an extinction event that happens all at once when this body hits the earth and we're all just done and that is happening for certain um it's it's different it's going to happen in different ways it's going to evolve bit by bit over time like it is a reality that climate change is happening but it's not this at a certain moment the earth is just no longer inhabitable right it, it, it creeps yeah. up and if there were such a solution as oh we just need to destroy this comet and put all of our heads together and make it happen how we can stop climate change is not so simple black and white oh we just need to sit around a table together and map out a missile to right. end this also it hit me during the, the final act of the movie when everything reaches those heights that this would almost be a better metaphor for the pandemic than mm. for climate change kind of for the reasons you said that it's like people you know yeah, people don't want to look at this, and the truth is that they can pass it off to another generation, or at least they think they can. Mm -hmm. But with, you know, we just saw, we just lived through a couple horrible years, and who knows what this one's going to be like, where people are genuinely just not looking at the mm -hmm. thing that's happening right now. Yeah, I thought the most affecting sequence, obviously, is that final one around the dinner table, mm -hmm. where there's actually some warmth and some reflection and some appreciation of whatever it is to be human on this planet. Hmm. Um, th that, that was a moment that I liked, but then, you know, yeah. then that's done. And then you get the little sci-fi, uh, tag at the end. Oh my gosh. I really disliked that because was, they're, yeah, I, sorry, oh, I keep on, I can't, no, I can't shut up about this <laughs> because the, the dirty secret of capitalism is that if you're at the top, you need people to serve the lifestyle that you want. There's no way that these people can go to another habitable planet and be happy together living off the land right their and money another, yeah bought them a survival situation it's another example of what you said before this these people are not that dumb right yeah they're yeah what they do is dumb but they're not uh, unfortunately they're not as dumb as we'd like them to be even the, you need people yeah. at the on the bottom rung in order right. to be at the top rung so yeah, I really, I really wanted it to work. I really wanted to like it. Uh, I still like McKay. I'll still watch the next thing he does. Yeah. Um, I just this one didn't work for me. That's all. Nor me. Uh, what are you gonna do? Um, Red, Red Rocket? Rocket is the next one on my list. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think that I would like to do Red Rocket because I actually liked it. Mm -hmm. So Red Rocket, twenty twenty one, American comedy drama film directed by Sean Baker from a screenplay by Baker and Chris Bergutch, Bergok. Sorry, Chris. Um, so we've got Simon Rex playing Mikey Saber, who is a, an adult entertainer who is way down on his luck and decides to move back to his hometown somewhere in Texas with his estranged wife and her mother. And he is not able to get a stand-up job because he has been um, in adult films for the past decades. But he is able to get back in dealing some substances with uh, local <laughs> drug lords. And there's something about this movie that tone-wise, it totally worked for me. But it was a totally different movie than what I expected that you're watching a lot of colorful characters, but they're also really superhuman <laughs> in mm -hmm. a way. Um, he, Mikey, 
kind of falls for this um, 17-year-old girl named Strawberry, of all things, who works at the local donut shop. And he has some pipe dreams that he's going to be able to groom her and take her back to L.A. And she's going to have a successful porn career and everything will look up for him again. Um, these there's so much addictive behavior <laughs> in this. There's something about his performance um, that reminded me almost of Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal mm-hmm. in some of its more manic moments. Sure. Um, he's kind of like that, that in a way, like lovable yet hopeful, hopelessly tragic, addictive personality, you know, loser that you sort of root for, but you sort of know what's coming for him. Um, what did you think of Red Rocket? Yeah, uh, very similar thoughts. I had also thwarted expectations, not completely, but I expected like a trashy, indulgent fun, like a Harmony Corinne kind of a situation um, or like a Zola. And it has those elements for mm-hmm. sure, but it's got a little more of a steady hand in the it's a little more solid and has a little more to say without being like. It's funny, I, I noticed it was listed, I think, in the AMC app as a drama, which mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's it certainly, uh, I, I wouldn't call it a full comedy either. It's kind of right. walking a lot of lines. And so uh, it was more meaningful and, and, and really more distressing in some parts than I expected, uh, where you kind of see the damage he does to other people. Of course, um, there's also comeuppance and things like that. But uh, yeah, I I really, I, the performance is amazing. Um just so compelling and cringeworthy and all those things that it needs to be that's a really well rendered world without ever even without ever even giving us the name of the town mm-hmm. it just feels like a real place uh again walking that line between a, a, a trashy comedy and a and a real story um there's his neighbor Lonnie Mm-hmm. Uh, who is a very like strange and specific, but kind of very real character. Um, no, I, I, I was really impressed with it. It makes me want to see the other films by this filmmaker. I haven't even seen Florida Project. Oh, you haven't? No. Okay, that's so that's interesting because, like, knowing that he did the Florida Project, mm-hmm. you're like, oh yeah, because um, Baker really gets um, America in decline and in mm-hmm. despair. And without caricaturing them, he is able to create these communities and these family systems um, that read very true to reality to me. Mm-hmm. Um, they they remind me a lot. Not I don't want to say like a lot of my upbringing, but I knew people whose grandmother was like Lil. You know, mm-hmm. um, I wonder what something like Hillbilly Elegy would have been in his hands. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I felt like Hillbilly Elegy, as it was, ended up in this world of prosthetics and stars. But what if we actually made it more real and relatable? Because Florida Project is like this, except without any humor or entertainment value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talking about making it relevant and real, this is also uh, a lot of people aren't talking about this. And I almost forgot it completely, but there is a through line of like 2016 political news yes. coverage in the background, including the T word and the, mm-hmm. and the T voice, which I would think it, for most filmmakers, I would just be like, no, thank you. I don't I don't want that in my movie, but it's it's 
I can't even say it's subtle. It's just not intrusive. It's just there. It's not commented mm-hmm. on. It's not, it just is a, it's a subconscious part of what's going on in this world, in this moment, in this place. And I thought that was interesting that, it, that he managed to have such a deft hand with what could be really just, you know, eye rolly material. Yeah. Trump appealed to all sorts of swaths of America. I think that this is a swath that Trump really spoke to mm-hmm. because their lives are in such decline and despair. These these towns that have had their heyday decades ago and people are just sort of still occupying the buildings almost in ruin. Mm-hmm. And that's just what everyone accepts. Yeah, and there's it's it's very intentional. The, the cinematography is constantly framing their little, you know, their little life drama with belching uh, factories in the background, mm-hmm. you know, smokestacks literally with fire shooting out of them, mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting bit of color and setting. Uh, I should mention too, Susanna Sun as Strawberry. Mm-hmm. She's uh, great, incredibly magnetic and lovable. And I had to fight this kind of like white knight fatherly, you know, wanting her to be okay uh, feeling and just kind of let the movie be the movie. But I really was concerned for her well-being because mm-hmm. he, he basically grooms her. Like, yeah. it's okay if she discovers in herself a desire to be an adult star. But she explicitly says that she is not interested. And then he, you know, he works on her. So that to me, in a more traditional movie, I would have loved to have seen that she was okay at the end. But we don't get that. We get some very interesting ending where he gets a whole bunch. He eats a whole bunch of crow. But then in in his mind, almost to like St. Maud levels, Mm -hmm. he has this final moment in the movie where uh, his dream is is about to come true. And I I thought that was a very interesting note. I thought the ending was left kind of mysterious that I wondered... Is he dreaming? Is he dead? Is this really happening? Hmm. Um, similar to how I felt at the end, I think I said of First Reformed, um, mm-hmm. where we don't know if that if that's taking place in reality or in his mind or in death. And right. I kind of liked that it was left ambiguous mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. Because because yeah, yeah she, she's too young to to consent to any of this. Um and is she like this wayfish uh, Lolita who's supposed to be leading him on. I don't think so. Right. She's very comfortable with him. Like the scene on the roller coaster was great where she kind of reveals things at a crucial moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, yeah. He, he's just using, I mean, the whole title of the movie, you know, right. he is using her. What happened to him? I love that that was left mysterious. Right. <laughs> like that he... Why would you think that this was your best choice to come back here? You are real down on your luck. Right. Right. And there's not, I mean, yeah, I guess I like that. I I might have comments about another movie that we saw this week where I would have liked a little bit more context. I feel like this movie had a really perfect amount of backstory and context and then, and then ambiguity. Mm -hmm. Um, I, yeah, I think this one really works, and I I will see Florida Project. I've heard that it's it's that it is more dour and upsetting the Florida Project. Yeah, I didn't like Florida Project just because it was such a downer, mm-hmm. and to me it was devoid of of joy or humor. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a way that is its effectiveness. And it has kids, right? So that's probably I yeah. And it's all kids the... just being neglected and yeah. watching their world spin out of control. All right. Yay. 
All right. Um, well, then why don't I, I'll talk licorice pizza and then you can talk Lost Daughter. Okay. Um, since I feel like maybe, you know, we tend to be in, a, in lockstep in a lot of our, our takes on movies, but I feel like licorice pizza was a little more of a Josh movie and maybe Lost Daughter was a little more of a Dan. Maybe. We, I don't know, maybe. But yeah, so licorice pizza obviously is the uh, new Paul Thomas Anderson. And uh, gosh, this is an interesting, just it, from the uh, conceptualization and filmmaking standpoint, um, this is a movie that has a lot of not uh, heretofore non-actors and a lot of relatives of famous actors. Um, did, did you know the guy selling the waterbeds was Leo DiCaprio's dad? I didn't know that. There's a bunch of people who are siblings and parents and children of, of mm. famous people in, in the movie. So this is uh, basically taking place in a kind of alternate universe, uh, Southern California. Um, I, I'm assuming reflecting the one in which PTA grew up. And uh, it has people who kind of reflect and represent real famous people. This is taking place in the 1970s. And uh, I believe that, you know, but so you have real Barbara Streisand, who's not in the movie, but is referenced in the movie. Mm -hmm. But then you have Lucille Doolittle. Was that her name? Who is a a Lucille Ball type character. Mm -hmm. You have like an actor played by Sean Penn. I'm not, I'm blanking on his character's name, but he's kind of like a James Mason or somebody. Mm -hmm. So these people kind of, represent these colossal figures uh but the movie's really focusing on um the i gotta just call it up i'm sorry I'm, I'm, I, I launched into it before i called up the page and that was a rookie mistake licorice pizza uh it's really coming of age tale uh about two young people played by uh cooper hoffman who I did not know till after the movie and you informed me as the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. He's Gary Valentine, a uh, what? 15 year old actor. Yes. And entrepreneur. Uh, he has this crazy life where he flies to New York to be on a live TV show. He's filming television commercials. He's selling waterbeds. He's going to conventions. He just seems to go to school when he wants to and then hop on a plane and do all this other crazy stuff with his mom. I don't remember if there's information about his father's whereabouts um, in the film. He uh, falls in love with Alana Kane, who is played by uh, Alana, Alana Hayam. Uh, who is the assistant of the of the dude taking photographs in his school? She is twenty five years old, right? Is that it? Is it fifteen and twenty five? That's right. And he is just uh, smitten with her, and he he's I don't know he's kind of like one of these movie characters who is bigger than like a kid who's bigger than life. He's kind of he's like uh, Max Fisher from Rushmore, but mm-hmm. if he really had the goods, if he really could do anything. And uh, he just puts all of his resources to pursuing this girl, following her around their lives, disconnect and come back together. And it's kind of this uh, pastiche of different moments from, you know, hot summers and Christmases and different seasons in, in this Southern California world. Uh, this is just a time and place movie. This is a, a memoir kind of a, of a movie for, for PTA. I'm assuming that's an assumption that I'm making. And uh, I really liked it, Dan. We we messaged back and forth about it a lot after I saw it. Uh, I think you had some more questions about it than I did. But I uh, I, I think that it's... I, I love Anderson's movies. You always feel like you're in good hands with the way that he... Even if I don't always know... Even the master where I didn't know what was going on, you just at least admire 
what you're looking at. But I, I, I connected with this one more emotionally. It had some things, some elements in it that um, spoke to me and, and uh, I liked the soundtrack and I liked the, I, I've always had this weird, um, I have like a, a um, I don't know what, what to call it, but like a fantasy about Southern California. I always wanted to live mm. in Southern California. I think it's ever since E.T. and those bit like flat, neighborhoods with the big wide roads and the, a group of six kids just riding their bikes mm-hmm. having an adventure and i always felt like that was just the best place to live uh you know when it's not burning down right um, so anyway that's that's a ramble about licorice pizza i liked it a lot dan uh how did you how'd you like it um i didn't oh i i didn't <laughs> i i in the theater i really didn't like it mm-hmm. um on reflection I I don't even know if don't like it is right. I just didn't get it. It was a movie that wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I was charmed by it in the beginning. I I liked the world there. I liked the the seventies nostalgia. I liked the actors. I liked that it was a little zany. Um, that he's flying to New York to be this too old kid in a strange <laughs> TV show with Christine Ebersole <laughs> and like. I I went with it. Um, And then as it went on, I had more and more questions. And I know that I'm not, you know, the critic with the questions, you know, if this is the story that they're trying to tell. Um, I understand that these are based on stories that uh, were told to PTA by his friend, Gary Goatsman, who's apparently someone who people know, who himself was a child actor and had been on these shows like with Lucy and on the Ed Sullivan show and he started a waterbed company and had a pinball arcade. Mm-hmm. So all of my incredulity about this, maybe this really happened. Mm-hmm. But my thinking is like, isn't it hard to start a business? Right. Like, how do you just get a storefront? You just need and some photocopies in a storefront. Stuff. Yeah. And you have you own a truck, but you're 15 mm-hmm. and you have employees and you're selling people waterbeds, but without the frames, you're just like giving them these mattresses to fill up right Right. so like these are just like silly surface questions about what's going on with the plot but then when it got into all the stuff with bradley cooper and the (laughs) gas shortage and the stuff with the truck i was like where is this story going i i was i was just lost at that point and then the thing with the politician and her trying to get more serious Mm -hmm. and then understanding how she's being used I was just feeling like, what is any of this about? And I'm not on the offense about, oh, the 15 and the 25-year-old, we shouldn't have this story because that's unethical. But it did also bring up to my mind, why that age difference? Mm -hmm. Because him being in high school doesn't play into the plot at all. Right. They get it out of the way very early and then you never go back to school. Right. You know, why wouldn't he be 18 and she 23? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to hear, I want to know a little bit more about why she's so lost. I feel like we just kind of see that she is, but we're not quite sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the end, we're to understand that they ended up together. Yeah. So, so does yeah. does she, is her development continuing to be stunted or is he mm-hmm. just so grown up for his age? Like a real, like um, the actor is 18, a a real 15 year old, I think would be shocking. Mm -hmm. Alana Haim is 30, which I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of cool that 
um, her bandmates and sisters and her real family is playing her family. Mm-hmm. That's kind of fun. I think it's something that if I watched again, now knowing where it was going to go and that it wasn't really going to take me to a place or interest me in the way that I hoped, mm-hmm. maybe I could appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel I felt like it was... I guess it just... I I bought into it as a movie of moments and I didn't need them to add up to a specific narrative because I was always just intrigued with what was going on. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't love the the political intrigue that kind of creeps in towards the end where I felt like maybe we needed a little more time with these characters as they grow up a little bit and mm-hmm. maybe it would have helped a little bit helped the bit the the medicine go down if maybe he had an 18th birthday at least before the end of the movie. But right. um but uh, and so I and, and the fact that there was in a movie that had been outright fun and kind of sunshiny to suddenly have is this politician about to be assassinated? Like, what's going on? Like, mm-hmm. all that stuff was a little weird and unwelcome to me. But um, I forgave it because I was I it did work for me so much. And I, I had a great time. Yeah, I think about like a movie like Almost Famous mm-hmm. and which I love, you know, yeah. I, I go with that movie any day of the week of kind of like this coming of age you know ambiguous morality of what's going on Mm -hmm. i I, you know 60s nostalgia and i just like i loved that and here i just ended up more confused and not resonating with it i don't know um i wanted her to be interested like in that other guy at the at the campaign headquarters volunteer guy yeah like there there was never any inkling between them right and what she was into the the gay mayor or whatever he was going to be right um i like yeah i like that scene though where she meets them at that bar and it's through the mirror and she kind of has that realization through the background Mm -hmm. of what of what she's been pulled into yeah um i thought that was that was moving I wondered if I missed something though regarding the the long-haired dude in the in the jersey when she said there's a man outside and he's like yeah I know mm-hmm. was I I figured I you know I figured out what's going on at that table and in yeah. the relationship who was the other guy then a, Oh a, I okay a so was he protecting them so, so here's um where my um spidey sense and experience mm-hmm. was like when that guy was out there I was like oh he's gay Mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> okay, wow. Where, where I was just like, either he is a lover or he is trying to sort out the truth of what's going on here, mm-hmm. and we're to understand that he is a reporter, right? Uh, oh, okay, yeah. That's what I thought he was doing at the restaurant, which is why she was called in to leave with, uh, okay, the right. boyfriend to not have them leave together. Got it. Because I thought at first it was obviously like, uh, at least to me, it seemed obviously like a um, taxi driver, 70s, you know, weirdo hanging out outside the political right. place. But then it, it it gets more complicated than that. And then I thought it when when it started to lean that way and I, I later than you, I figured out, oh, this guy's gay. I want is it an ex lover who's threatening to right. well, blackmail and, him or something? Right, exactly. And but I mean, the ex lover wouldn't need to go to the restaurant. Right. And confirm this. And I'll, I mean, from the guy's first interview, oh, you're not married. Oh, no, I focus on. Oh, come on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like right. you're you're setting that up real heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Interesting. OK. 
John C. Riley as as uh, Herman Munster. I, I did I did enjoy that. <laughs> that was nice. Um, and I was I was confused too at the beginning, and this is just my thickness of what she was even doing there. Like I thought she was a student at the school. I didn't understand. Oh yeah, that why, wasn't clear what her job was. Why no. she was holding up a mirror? I was so. It was like, oh, it's picture day. Like. Right. Was I supposed to have got that, or was that I don't think that was just you? Because went... even later on, when the line of dialogue is, "You take pictures of school kids," I was like, "Oh, she does." Like, I, <laughs> so I wasn't. I think that was simply just, again, the movie. Not, a lot of movies not holding your hand, right? Which is fine. I'm I'm generally for that, but yes, it. Uh... I mean, and that's a whole thing. Like, you know the the student teacher comes into high school and there's like a strange tension or humorous flirtation with boys in the class or something like there's like a real dynamic of when like adult women enter that space. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they like that attention for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I, I see what, what's happening there, but then why the final outcome would have been seen as positive, a positive right. development, because what hope do they have as a couple? Yeah. Well, I mean, it just feels like one of those pie in the sky movie things because he's not your typical 15 year old. He's got all this, you know, all this uh, ambition and all, and he's got all these resources. Uh, Will they date for three years before he's yeah. legal? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's a good yeah. question. I, um, Sorry, uh, by the way, Sean Penn's character was based on William Holden, not mm. uh, not uh, Mason. I also wanted to just mention Skylar Gazondo, uh, who played Lance, another child actor. This is the guy we recognize from Righteous Gemstones and uh, Booksmart. Um, hmm. Oh, yes, yes, yes. He's always always good to see him. He's a, He has like such a weird vibe, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, his name is Gazondo, and he he introduced himself speaking Spanish. I've never clocked him as, um, you know, having a, a, a specific ethnic background. I guess that's what acting is about. But um, maybe you'll appreciate maybe you'll appreciate this. <laughs> the first time that I remember seeing him in Booksmart, my very first reaction was, mm-hmm. "Is that the guy who was in McGee and Me?" <laughs> <laughs> But then I remembered he would have grown up too. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, they can do amazing things now with de-aging. And, uh... <laughs> but he reminds me of the guy from right. McGee and Me. <laughs> wow. That's quite a, quite a pull. <laughs> uh, and then John Michael Higgins. We don't have to litigate that whole thing, but I love seeing John Michael Higgins no matter what. Um, well, I, I will say this for him and I don't want to like give credit where it's not due, <laughs> but I feel like in, you know, the climate of the world, that was a bold thing as an actor to say, yeah, I'll do that for you. Right. Yeah. And I feel like, and we're, t- we're referring to the fact that he is a, a character who's a white man with a Japanese wife running a business of a Japanese restaurant. And whenever he talks, whenever he addresses his wife. He speaks in a cartoonish Japanese accent. He does not speak Japanese. Right. He simply over enunciates English sentiments to her in a horrible accent. And it's just not explained or referenced. It just happens a few times. And it's so specific that I feel like it must be based on one of those stories. Yeah. My, my medium full theater was silent at that. Mm -hmm. 
oh, dudes were cracking up in really? New Jersey. Yeah. Oh boy, it was uncomfortable. What? What? Like, so I don't want to relitigate it about right or wrong. Why is that funny? I think it's literally just some people get tickled in the ribs by a funny voice. It's funny because it's so wrong, or because it's different. I don't know. Because, yeah, I, I just had, thought that that whole thing w- was like a, a misfire, and how he yeah. like suddenly had a different wife who right, right. they didn't recognize <laughs> as yeah. being a different woman, which right, is maybe right. a more recognizable microaggression. <laughs> yeah. Than whatever it is that he's trying to do. I feel like it was intended in both of those cases as commentary on the white characters, uh-huh. but I just don't know oh, yeah. that it plays successfully that way. But yeah, didn't didn't make sense for me. But that's I mean, yeah. variations on a theme for me with this movie. Right. All right, uh, Dan. Then why don't you walk us through uh, the Lost Daughter? Sure thing. So this is a psychological drama written and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal, feature debut and major impress- majorly impressive, based on the novel by Elena Ferrante. And Olivia Coleman stars as Lita, who is on vacation in Greece, and she's there on her own, and she, I don't want to say makes friends, but she encounters... <laughs> Ed Harris is kind of a caretaker of her property, as well as Dakota Johnson as Nina and her extended family who are there for a birthday celebration slash vacation. And in watching this family's dynamic, especially with a young daughter, Lita is remembering a lot of her history with her own daughters and her younger self. I don't even want to call these flashbacks i mean even though they kind of are um but jesse buckley plays the coleman character as younger lita a young professor with young kids being absolutely crushed (laughs) by the weight of parenthood and lita doesn't respond socially the way that uh, people expect her to she gets in a lot of unnecessary tiffs with these other vacationers and at other times uh, connects with them deeply. And for me, this was a really bold piece of storytelling um, depicting for us what is a real cultural taboo of a woman especially who really hates being a mother, I think, Mm -hmm. or is so overwhelmed by the responsibility or doesn't... um, like that she's been caged in by uh, society's expectations about it or whatever it is is going on with her. It's kind of a mystery. And Coleman's performance is so masterful that she can kind of hold all of that and still seem like a real human being. Um, I, I was way more into it than I expected it to be. I kind of thought it would be homework bore, but I, I related <laughs> to Lost Daughter <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, what what do you think of it? Uh, yeah, I found it troubling and excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think it's undeniable everyone is is lauding Gyllenhaal, um, and really, it can't be overstated. I guess to make your a, a debut as a filmmaker, an actor making a debut with something so daring and specific that doesn't play into any kind of 
trope or expectation or just such a singular specific work. Um, I think that's kind of brave and I think that's kind of interesting. Um, I, I think though, where maybe you were a little lost in um, licorice pizza world, I just felt a little lost here. And it's a situation where personally, subjectively, I wanted more information, but I'm not, again, I don't, I'm not, I, this movie doesn't owe it to me. So I, as far as the, you know, the, the central element, which is a mother who walked away from her family and all that, that incredibly brutally honest depiction of, you know, what it can actually feel like being a parent and someone who, who, as you say, gets kind of crushed under that weight. I thought all that stuff was, was kind of breathtaking and, and amazing. You just don't see films about parent, even ones that are, you know, it's an honest movie about parenthood. It's not mm-hmm. usually this honest. Um, but right. I guess, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I related a lot because of my own stuff of feeling like, like she's like living the dream for me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, a vacation for like a week or more, mm-hmm. like on your own. And you just like go to the beach if you want to. And you take your dinner and someone asks, asks you to move lawn chairs. Right. You just kind of go, no. And if like <laughs> right. someone invites you to do something, you know, a nice invitation yeah. gives you a piece of cake. <laughs> you know right and and like you want to think like that's antisocial that's bad that's not how you should be and she just is yeah um i i liked that you know she's reaching out in a way to dakota johnson Mm -hmm. she in a way there's all sorts of family dynamics where lyle the caretaker is sort of seeking to reach out to her as a daughter she's trying to reach out to dakota johnson as a daughter um trying to give her the hat pin and show her how to you know wear it in her hair and like things that like a mother might help mm-hmm. with. Um, and in the same time, it comes back to bite her. I loved right. how honest she was. Like the thing about the doll wasn't entirely clear why she was drawn to it and what right. that was about. She was almost seemed like she was going insane. Like uh, she's back in the father last year, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and in the end about the doll where she has the opportunity to be the hero mm-hmm. and be like, Oh yes, I, you know, I did just find it. What a quinky dink. Be like, no, I took it. I don't know why. Right. <laughs> like, right. no, I'm just a piece of shit. I know it. Right. You know, just to be even honest about that. When, Almost Larry David levels of. Uh, yes. Like when <laughs> that, even, even when she knows full well that that will be entirely socially unacceptable. She knows that she needs to live her life right. with such intense honesty no matter if it hurts everybody around her or draws their scorn or ire. Um, And that is something that most people don't live into. Like that's why Larry is so funny Mm -hmm. or why we laugh and I'm so uncomfortable with him because he lives into the honesty that we don't like to see about ourselves that in these ways, I'm a terrible person. Mm -hmm. And I I liked that. So it sounds like the, the moments of this movie added up to something whole for you. And in some ways they did for me. And in other ways, again, I didn't, I had a little trouble feeling the connection between younger, uh, what's her name? Lita mm-hmm. and, and older. Um, like I didn't, I didn't need concrete answers of like, what were the factors that contributed to her? I get, you know, it's fine that it's just her personal choice to walk away. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's fine or not. I'm not going to make a judgment on her character, but mm-hmm. that's the story. Um, but I, I didn't feel so much of a 
narrative connection or, or uh, any kind of connection between the younger version and the older version where it was like, well, these are both interesting through lines, but you know, I, I'm almost looking for a rhythm or a reason to cut back to this particular thing and then forward to this particular thing. Whereas I felt like this was really just a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I, I think that if anything, it could have been 30 minutes shorter and it wouldn't have been the same movie. Um, maybe cutting out some of the stuff with Jesse Buckley. I didn't quite understand. I got a little bored with uh, Peter Sarsgaard as the professor and yeah. that whole kind of seeing the grass is greener and mm-hmm. needing to escape life. I, I think a little more mystery there might have been a, a mm. little more compelling for me. Yeah, I guess I could go the other way. Not more answers, but just less of that stuff. It's also really difficult. And again, this movie is excellently executed, mm-hmm. but it's always interesting to me when people when a screenwriter has to render intellectuals in a movie right because now you have to do a little bit of reading and you have to do a little bit of thinking of how do i put words you know this guy's giving a lecture and then they're trying he talks like a like an academic and it's like how much do you bullshit that and how much do you like it's a weird proposition there's a lot of it i feel like yeah i think that we could have even stayed in the present day timeline and had Lita reveal some of these things or hint at their mysteries in other ways to mm-hmm. characters mm-hmm. to understand why she's having a breakdown. Because at first, um, I thought the lost daughter was going to refer to, you know, maybe one of her daughters having died or, you know, you're just mm-hmm. not quite sure with what's with what you're given. Mm-hmm. And just kind of seeing it play out in the earlier time um, to me was a little less compelling. It didn't come together for me like the best movie ever. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just more than I thought it was going to be. So I ended up enjoying it. And it's audacious and the performance, the performances are great. Yeah. It is really something it's definitely uh, demands a look. Can you imagine some other actress giving it a try? Like, I I think like there's something unique about Olivia Mm -hmm. Coleman, right? That she's, that she'd be willing to go there. Yeah. And again, I love Jesse Buckley and that whole thing. I, I almost feel like it's just two different movies. Like they would be, they would almost benefit from being uh, severed from each mm-hmm. other. But, um, and I, I think I would find the vacation movie more interesting. But yeah, um, not to, I think we're running out of time here. And, uh, but what do you make of the ending? Um, How did it end again? It ends with her on the beach. I don't know. Somehow she has an orange <laughs> in her pocket. Oh yeah, that and was she's lucky. Been, she's been stabbed with a hairpin. Spoiler alert! And she's just <laughs> call, she calls her daughter. Like I, the ending is baffling. I think that there was some kind of connection with her daughter that because mm-hmm. I mean every everything life in life is complex. Yeah, though she was stuck in a world that had so much more to do with her daughters than with just her daughters. Um, and they portray children as being insufferable. <laughs> and immovable and that they that you just need a child to like peck at you like a bird that that there's no entertaining a child or having a boundary with a child just children are always there to harass you like torture and Um, to have a parent lose their shit in response and not have them be a monster right i mean you could argue whether or not overall if her if her grand actions are monstrous or not. But in those moments, I mean, come on, those are real moments where she throws the doll out the window and right. Whatever. 
Yeah. And so I, I just feel like that was a moment of warmth and tenderness, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps a positive memory, because clearly she's triggered by this visiting family. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this stuff about her own kids has been on right. her mind. And she can't, she she can't repair. Th- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, do you think she's dying? Will she die? I don't think she'll die. No. Okay. I mean, who knows how yeah. uh, injured she was, but yeah. To Just me, that whole thing at the beach was like inner upheaval. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, um, also, I'm looking at the Wikipedia. Why? The six paragraph Wikipedia summary is so much more tight and easy to follow. I didn't realize that when she calls Bianca on that, that in, the, in the ending, Martha happens to be there, too. So she's talking to both of her daughters. Oh, I didn't notice. Uh, they that express relief to hear from their estranged mother, who they assumed was dead. Lita says she's alive, then looks down to discover an orange in her hands, peels it off like the skin off like a snake, the way she'd done for her daughters when they were little. I didn't track all of that at all. Oh, I missed that too. Uh, but that's the specificity of that orange thing is interesting mm-hmm. too. Uh, all right, Dan. Unless we're going to just read these lists, maybe we hold them and talk about them next time. Sure. Uh, unless I mean, if we don't, we've already talked about the movies on them now at this point. But uh, I mean, we don't need to like give a recap of them. Yeah. I mean, I listen to the film podcasts that are three hours long each episode. You know. Right. 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 Yeah. All right. Um. Okay. Anything else to leave our listeners with? Dan? Not a thing. Okay. Then uh, we shall bid you peace and uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next time. To talk about top ten. Later. Thanks, Jonah. Bye.